Section 12 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An American Vendetta. A Story of Barbarism in the United States by T.C. Crawford. Chapter 8. The incidents of the Hatfield-McCoy feud are few in the history of the lawless acts which can be charged against the community living to the east and west of Tug River. The feud between these two families lends a picturesque and dramatic interest to their acts, and much more importance has been attached to this petty war than it really deserves. It will be seen by a scrutiny of the summary of the crimes given above that the reports concerning their number have been much exaggerated, but the incidental crimes connected with this feud are much more numerous. In the region I have named, there is absolutely no punishment for the crime of murder except that of personal retaliation. James L. Dodson, a justice of the peace at Jamboree, Pike County, Kentucky, told me during the course of a long conversation on the subject that he had lived 25 years in that region and had carefully observed the conduct of judicial affairs. I asked him if during that time he had ever known of any judicial punishment for murder. He said, not once during the 25 years. This is equally the history of the counties on the opposite side of the river in West Virginia. Mr. Dodson said that he had never taken part in any of the local quarrels, but that he had become wearied at last of this continued violation of the law, and he intended to move away and become a member of some other community. Mr. Dodson says also that Mr. Phillips, the deputy who made the raid into West Virginia, is a man who started out honestly, but who misconceived his duties, and was led into the perpetration of crimes even worse than those he was seeking to punish. During the few days that I stayed in the neighborhood of Logan Courthouse, I saw a number of brawls. Mountaineers come down to political meetings and to sessions of the courts, for these are the only amusements in this faraway region. Each candidate has to furnish a jug of whiskey for the meeting if he wishes to have any popularity at all. Logan is nominally a prohibition town, and as a necessary consequence, there is sold throughout its length and breadth the vilest liquor known to the trade. Towards the latter part of the day, at the political or the court gatherings, there is the usual beastly drunkenness. This is a fashionable piece of relaxation. I do not know how many times I have heard one mountaineer accost another with, What did you come in for today? And the answer would be invariably, To see my friends and get drunk. In a community where the intellectual grade is so low, physical prowess counts for everything. The big man of the community is the bully, and where one has not the strength physically, he generally makes up for the lack by the handy use of what they call weapons. A blow is nearly always followed by the drawing of a knife or a revolver. The disputes are always, or nearly always, about the most trivial subjects. The other night I saw the power of a man of might. Several of us were seated about the open fire 
in the little office of the hotel of the town. A tall, drunken individual, over six feet in height, came in and looked about for a seat. He was too fatigued to be able to stand for more than a moment, so he selected his victim in the shape of an undersized mountaineer who was half asleep in the corner. He backed around in his neighborhood and then deliberately sat down upon him with a thud that would have crushed an ordinary man. The little man simply struggled out of the way of the giant and said nothing. The people generally here are hospitable and civil. The stranger is welcomed to their doors. If he can eat corn pone, fried pork, and fried chicken, he is welcome to their table. But throughout the community, you never hear anyone denounce the crime of murder. I believe the majority of the people here are peaceably inclined, but are overawed and domineered by the bullying element. There is a very large lawless class throughout the mountains, people who live irregular, immoral lives. I do not believe there is any such place for missionary work in the whole world as in this region. There is not a Catholic institution in the entire neighborhood. The few preachers who struggle through here are uneducated, ignorant, hard-shell Baptists and Methodists. Women of the dissolute class are very large, considering it is a rural community. These women, in the picturesque language of the mountains, are called idle women. They are responsible for many of the quarrels and the murders which darken the history of these mountain regions. It will not do to say that this is a new community and that these are the faults common to every undeveloped section. It is one of the oldest settled sections of the country. It is also one of the richest in natural resources. There are no finer coal deposits anywhere than are to be found in Logan County and this neighborhood. But the community has not progressed for upward of a hundred years. Its schools are few and primitive. The principal mountaineers do not know how to read or write. A man who reads a book is regarded as a preacher. In spite of their lack of the ordinary comforts of civilization and their isolation from the world, they all have the exaggerated egotism and comfortable opinion of their surroundings common to provincial communities. Here, freedom is asserted to its uttermost. Privacy is unknown. That any sane man should want a room to himself in a hotel, or that he should have a prejudice against anyone sleeping with him, is something beyond the calculation of the genial hosts of this neighborhood. At the hotel where I stopped in Logan Courthouse, I succeeded with difficulty in persuading the landlord to give up one room to myself and a friend traveling with me. But after securing the room, the great problem was how to keep it. The entire community swarmed into it whenever they liked and as they liked. Unfortunately, it was on the ground floor and in easy range. Sometimes the informal caller would come in through the window, but he generally would walk in to the number of five and six by the door, never by any chance knocking, never by any chance making the slightest excuse for his genial presence. Locking the door simply produced a coldness in the community and a suspicion 
that we were detectives hatching plans to carry off some of their leading citizens. Then there was a deaf and dumb idiot who was the pet of the village. He had a face like a ghoul and a resounding consumptive cough that was like the cry of death from a moldy tomb. This ghoul-like face was always at one of the windows of my room. This deaf and dumb horror was always following strangers. I will never forget one day when three Kentucky visitors walked in and produced a bottle of sour mash. They introduced themselves solemnly to me by name and asked me if I would take a drink. I excused myself upon the plea that I was so filled up with the malaria of the country that I had no room for anything else. A book in my hand saved me from the wrath of these invaders. "'Can't you see, Bill?' said one of them. "'He's a preacher. Preachers like a drink, same as anybody else, but it's again the rules of their church to drink unless they are by themselves.' With this, the invader of my would-be exclusive room beckoned the deaf and dumb idiot who had been hovering on the porch, and he sprang through the window like an animal, and before they could more than indicate their desire to have even this poor creature drink with them on a footing of equality, the ghoul had actually swallowed fully a pint of their whiskey. It was with difficulty wrenched from him. As they walked out, the misshapen idiot, more cheerful than ever, took a seat upon my hearthstone and announced by his manner that he never would leave me. But an open door and a little muscular assistance made him change his mind. It is a region which develops eccentricity of character and excessive independence of thought. I know one veteran here, a captain who commanded a company of soldiers during the war, and that man today feels perfectly confident that he knows more about military science than any man who ever lived. He told me that he gave up the Confederacy in 1862, and he came very near telling Jeff Davis that it was no use to go on. Something restrained him from thus checking the advance of the southern armies. I do not know what it was. I am sure it was not modesty or any lack of belief in himself. The last character that I noticed in this town was a fine, hale old man with forty or fifty different colored rags sewn on the top of a black hat. He gravely announced to me that he was Grover Cleveland, and that he felt perfectly confident that he was going to carry Logan County by a large majority, and consequently the state. I tried to leave this charming region in a pleased state of mind. The mere thought of going ought to have been ecstasy beyond description, but as I was moving away, this foul fiend of the deaf and dumb description came sweeping down, and before I knew it, had actually embraced me in a passion of regret at my departure. The one bright and marked incident of the trip was the feat of Clarence Moore of Charleston in that state, as handsome and broad-shouldered an athlete as I have ever seen. He was with me in the World's Express, which was toiling over rock, boulder, and tree trunk at the rate of not quite four miles an hour, when the two wheels of our feeble wagon deliberately smashed. 
he saw a look of despair upon my face, because going ahead without delay meant my being able to make New York connection in time to get home for the Sunday World's publication. He was out of the wagon like a flash. With a quick turn of his hand, he slipped off the rattle-trap harness from the miserable old horse on the offside, and in a second he disappeared, clubbing it furiously up the road, telling me as he departed that he was going to catch a drummer who was only two miles ahead, that he would make him pull me through. He succeeded, and to him is due a debt of gratitude, for not having swallowed a morsel of wholesome food for nearly ten days, and having had nearly six days' continuous riding over the road to this region, I had reached the limit of my ability to live the life of a mountaineer. End of section 12 Recording by Linda Johnson